0: You're by my perfect fire, my perfect
1: life. Hello everybody and welcome to the Word on the Hill podcast with the Lanky guys. My name is Scott Powell. Dude, you started. I told yeah. you I was starting. Like uh, three times. Like, he's like, he said this
0: to me. He said, Are you ready? I ready? I'm ready. Gonna, he's like, I'm gonna take you, you staring die? at your phone blankly as permission to go. <laughs> <laughs> and you didn't refute it. <laughs> <laughs> and thus. we We are recording yeah my name is father peter musset and uh and uh it's a beautiful 70 perfectly degreed day those are uh, words you know, it's I I have in my heart poetry. Okay, yeah, and and to make poetry, sometimes you got to make bad poetry. It's kind of like
1: to make pasta. Sometimes you make bad pasta. Yeah. I have in my heart angry angry linguistics because of our conversation earlier. Yeah, we, we had we like Which is the opposite of poetry. <laughs> angry linguistics. No, that actually could be a great set of poems <laughs> or uh, a title of a short story. Angry mm-hmm. linguistics. Yeah, or a manual of some sort. Anyway.
0: Or, or it could actually be a manual on how to make pasta sauce for <laughs> mildly hostile friends. Linguini, linguistics. There's got to be a <laughs> connection there. And there's got to be an etymological connection, right?
1: One would think. And solemnity of the most holy Trinity. <laughs> That's right. It is so. It, uh, then the solemnity of the most holy Trinity is properly speaking falling in ordinary time correct i mean i know it's a solemnity but the sea the liturgical season that we exist in is now ordinary time because once pentecost is concluded we enter into the growing season that's why it's green right Mm. is that correct yep okay cool so this is the first real big feast day of ordinary time yeah which uh, is exciting. So our first reading for the big feast of the solemnity of the most holy trinity is coming from the book of Deuteronomy, everyone's favorite book. It actually is one of my favorite books, but everyone gives it the short end of the stick because everyone thinks it's about something that it's not. They think it's boring law code or long genealogies or unpronounceable names. It's a book all about the heart of the people of Israel. So we'll talk about that in a minute. Deuteronomy chapter four, verse 32 through 34, and then 39 through 40. And then our response, to our psalm is coming from Psalm thirty-three. <laughs> are you are a robot.
0: Verses four, two, five, six, nine, eighteen to nineteen, twenty to twenty-two, with twelve B. I actually, in fact, have been watching YouTube videos about um, about robot dancing. You know, like pop and lock. You know, like isolations. <laughs>
1: so, as a matter of fact, I've been watching YouTube videos about internet. Uh, robot dancing what i i can't even make fun of that all i can do is literally repeat the absurd thing that you just said there's no commentary i could give to make it funnier than it is our second reading is from the book of romans chapter 8 verses 14 through 17
0: and then um our gospel is coming from the gospel of matthew mm. chapter 28 mm. Verses 16 to 20. Mm.
1: The Great Commission, as it is sometimes called. Yeah, which is not the Great Omission. No, That's no, nice. no, no. Although it is because a few of us actually do it. <laughs> I mean that's why it's made fun of is the great ordinary Ex- except for grandmas who, <laughs>
0: who are persnickety and their children won't um, baptize their grandchildren
1: persnickety grandmas persnickety grandmas save the world. In, the, in the great commission it's like dostoevsky said beauty sa- beauty will save the world we say that persnickety persnickety grandmas will save the world okay that was an obscure reference it wasn't meant to be deuteronomy deuteronomy um so there's some
0: old days and some new days and i like moses just starting in and he's like he's like hey think back for I a love second. it when i let you start <laughs> it's so fun because yeah, you looked and you're like what do we what is he gonna actually bring out keep going man well i just i just love that moses is like he's like ask of the day ask now the days of old has anything ever happened like this like this and it's like and it's like we can ask that and
1: we can say yes absolutely yes but they cannot say yes yes what is the this though that's the question so if moses is beginning this statement this is um to put in a little bit of con oh there's so much context that we need um Chapter one through four of the book of Deuteronomy are a recounting and a recalling of all of salvation history. Okay. So here, here's the thing about Deuteronomy, and chapter four then is Moses' sort of homily or sermon or commentary on that story. Um, but the thing about Deuteronomy, and this is why I think the question of what is this? You said, ask now of the days of old before your time. Have has ever since God created the earth? What did you say? Did ever did anything ever so great happen before? Um. Which makes you ask the question of uh, what is the moment that we're talking about, that this greatness is taking place in. So Deuteronomy comes in the time period of the Exodus. It obviously comes after the Exodus. But Deuteronomy um, is not written primarily to the generation of the Exodus. It's not written or being given Primarily to the group of people that have come out of slavery in Egypt, who've crossed the Red Sea, who ate the manna in the desert, you know, who went through all of these great things. You, that look you're giving me looks like you want to kill me. No, 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 okay. no, 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 <laughs> You no. just had that look in your eye. Of- no, no, I was
0: actually staring through you. You were. In, and it was my, my, really creeping me in, out. In, in my mind, I was like, I actually was not. I like looked at you, but I was like thinking it about intense. Other, way other things. It was an intense
1: look. I was I'm just it? gonna say that. Yeah. 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 It was. I, could, sorry. I, I had so, to. It, you broke me. I had to crack. It was like we were playing chicken. and and I, I couldn't go. I couldn't hang. I did this to Megan as well. And she's she's always like, she's like, hello. hello. Um, Sorry. Yes. So, so it's not primarily written to the generation that came out of the Exodus. It's written to their children, to the next generation. And where we are in the story is the Exodus has taken place. Uh, The people of God have fallen profoundly, and that's partially why Moses feels that it is necessary to recount the story of salvation history. Because we tend to fail as the people of God. We tend to fall. We tend to not live up to our vocations when we forget the story of where we have come from. Mm. And the story of Israel at this point is of a great failure. The golden calf has um, taken place. They worshiped an idol rather than the God who saved them. So what Moses is saying is, if you look back, not only over the whole course of salvation history, if you just look back over the last few years, what God did for us and for our parents in the time of the Exodus was absolutely unprecedented. God had never done anything like—we've we've known God to be creator, but now he's shown himself to be redeemer and sanctifier. He has set us free. He has led did, us through— Did you really
0: do that on the day that we have the Great Commission to go baptize?
1: <laughs> oh, no, I know. I, come on. Well, there's a, every— there's a reason that that is was that chosen. Way, 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 way. There is a reality to every yeah. false-headed uh, idea. <laughs> There's usually some truth in it, at least the ones that get traction. Um, but but he's saying is what God did for us. If you don't recognize what has taken place, you have missed everything. God set you free from slavery. He showed up. He's not this dips, distant abstract, abstract reality. Up in the sky, he is someone who has stepped into human history, who has taken the form of fire and cloud, who has defeated your enemies, who has worked wonders through nature, who has shown you with your eyes miracles, who fed you with bread from heaven, with water from a rock for Pete's sake. To ignore that, to not see this, is to miss not only who God is, but is to miss the entire course of human history. So he's saying. Not only is salvation history critical for understanding, but if you miss salvation history, you have not only missed who God is and who you are, but you've missed what all of human history is meant to point to. God is incredible and God is actually for you. And he showed up. Did anything so great ever happen before? And the reason he's dwelling on this and really drilling this home is their parents' generation ignored it and pushed it aside, and put themselves before these great realities, and fell to the appetites of their belly, and the appetites of their fear, and all of the other things that are meant to distract us and take us away from God. So this is not a rhetorical question um, when he asks, you know, did you guys do you guys realize what happened? Because their parents do not realize it, which is why God has now moved on to the next generation, because there's a generation whom he saved who outright rejected him, said we don't want the promised land, we don't want his salvation, we don't want his law, we don't want his word, we reject all of this. And because God is not a God who forces himself upon us, he says fine, Hang out in the desert, I'll take your kids into the promised land I will build them into a mighty people of God set after my own heart and Moses needs to convince this new generation that if you forget your story, if you forget your parents' story, if you forget where you've come from, then you've lost everything what is I, I've almost been thinking about the readings this week in terms of where's Waldo <laughs> which, which is um uh, yeah I was I, I it's the solemnity of the most holy trinity. Right. And I was reading through all the readings. Trying to find where is where the trinity. Where is the Holy Spirit? Yeah, where is where is the trinity? Um, and uh, w- what I think is most, yeah, where is the trinity? But, but you were, like, you're trying to find the Holy Spirit I'm trying to find the Spirit specifically because we, we sort of know where God the Father is. We know where Jesus is to some degree. Well I, guess. Well,
0: well, I mean, it's like you you have Moses who is who's always a profound prefigurement of Christ. Profound prefigurement, yes. Like, That's like he point. he's imaging for us in a in a special way, w- who Christ um, will fulfill the figure of Moses fully.
1: Well, in on a lot of levels. Number one, because Moses is the one who transmits God's word. Jesus is God's word. He goes up on a mountain. He brings this message of hope. All these things. He, he sets goes in us an free. Exodus. He goes in an Exodus. But in another sense, is it Damascus wins in? Do you know that that theologian um, wellspring of worship? I I can't remember exactly. Uh, now. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. The wellspring of worship. Is, that's not Damascus. Winsen. There's no, another it's... theologian that I'm uh, I, I'm very compelled by. I haven't taught Deuteronomy in in a little while, but. Um, I think it's Damascus Winsen who who makes the argument. So Moses, of course, who gives this profound speech, who, who um, presents us the entirety of the book of Deuteronomy, which is, again, not draw li- law, dry law code. It is the constitution of what it looks like and what it means to be built up into the people of God. It's catechetical. It's salvation history rela- uh, uh, centric. It is formative for what it's supposed to look like when you go into the promised land and begin this new life but the tragedy of it is of course Moses will never go to the promised land right the only one who is ultimately faithful will never actually get to set foot in the Holy Land. He'll go up on Mount Nebo, and he'll be able to look back on where they've come from and look forward into where they're going, but he himself knows he will not go there. And I think it's Damascus Winson who makes the argument that in—and we all remember, um, maybe some of the You just like saying that guy's name. I do. It's a great name. I mean, talk about a a name name and a half. It's a great name. But do you remember why Moses doesn't go into the Promised Land? um it's well it, is
0: it the it's at the rock when he actually yeah. strikes it twice because yeah. of, because he's the one who's seen faith god face to face and then he fails in in um in fidelity yeah. i mean I'm, the, I'm, I'm, i know that's probably the cheap understanding there's probably
1: some nuance well and this is where the nuance is everything and this is where we have to dig deeper than what's on the surface because and, and again this is the point this theologian that i keep mentioning uh, talks about <laughs> if you think about it, so yes uh, on paper it, objectively the reason that it is stated that Moses will not go into the promised land is because he gets ticked off at the rock and at the uh, the impatience of the people and instead of striking it once to get the water he strikes it twice because he lost his temper and for any of us who have ever lost our temper before or lost our cool or gotten frustrated that's real bad news right and you're like and and I think the case needs to be made that. The punishment, seemingly, seemingly the punishment is so utterly disproportionate to the crime that was committed that Moses got really angry, lost his temper, and disobeyed God. That's true. That's real. But to not actually be able to taste the fruit of everything his life has been leading toward feels utterly disproportionate. And so what Winsen makes the argument is, is that that's not the point of Moses not going to the promised land. It's not merely about the rock. It is that... In that sacrifice of not being able to attain the entire goal of his vocation, he empties himself to such a profound degree that he becomes almost the perfect Old Testament icon of the Son of God who will empty himself in totality for the sake of his people. Moses is emptied in total. Every shred of self interest and self love and goals of this is what I want is taken away from him and replaced with his self gift for the people who he has led, who have sinned against him, who have turned against him, who have rejected him countless times, that they will now reap the fruit of what he has sacrificed. And so on a mountain, he becomes this icon of Jesus who is the new lawgiver, who will ultimately be the law that is given. And he becomes this kind of beautiful embodiment of what is to come. Does that make sense? Yeah. Which is really beautiful. Not not to diminish the fact that, yeah, he did commit a sin. He did lose his temper on the rock. <laughs> Fine. But again, there's got to be more to the story. And this right. is very beautiful. Again, knowing that the, our church asks us to look at everything in the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus right. and through the lens of the new, that makes sense to me. And then, of course, we know you know, does Moses ever go to the promised land? No. I mean, the only time in the Transfiguration. The man. only time in the Transfiguration. Yeah, I mean Come but, on, that's, man. But, but
0: he would. but he looked like Yoda. <laughs>
1: What does that, that even mean?
0: He looked like Yoda in, in uh, the, uh, the
1: ump- not the Empire Strikes Back, uh, in the Return of the Jedi, dude. Dude, Jesus, whom he prefigured, takes him by the hand into the Holy Land to demonstrate to the apostles the new exodus that is to come. I mean, come on. I know, is it, I, know it, I know. I know. I, I, it, it wasn't a trick question. No,
0: it was not a trick
1: question. But I, again, in the light of all of this together, there's a, there's a beauty. And that's where we begin to take the well, words of Moses. Like, you don't even know what you're saying. Has Anything like this ever taken place? Right. At the time, no. That's the
0: reason why I actually bring up like sometimes we have this vision of of the Mount of Transfiguration is that we see Moses and Elijah and they show up and they really just look like, you know, a transfigured Yoda uh, on the top of. You keep I, saying it, that. And no, I no. I don't
1: understand. Do
0: you, you don't remember the return of the Jedi when at the very end they're celebrating it with the with yeah. the Endorians. I'm sorry, the Ewoks. Yeah. And uh, and, the, and and like then there and like he has a vision is of not, is
1: Yoda glowing. Yoda's glow, he will he all i can picture him is in is in Luke's backpack. Yeah. And yeah. i picture Moses in Jesus's backpack up N- on the train. No, what remote. happens
0: is that you have Darth Vader and Yoda they've died and now they're they're like these transfigured yeah, versions yeah, yeah, of themselves. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like the, the glowing. Very end. Yeah, Obi-Wan exactly. Kenobi does the same yeah, thing, yeah. doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Obi-Wan. So the reason why i say that is that is that uh, the striking reality is that Christ has actually now demonstrated yeah. Moses in the in the promised land, taking him by the yeah. hand, and yeah. actually now yes. we're we're seeing yeah. the fruit because of the fidelity in Christ. Yes, absolutely, and, and that this is actually profound. And sometimes we yeah. just actually see it as a movie scene in our brains rather than the significant reality of the fruit of somebody's whole purpose in life actually like.
1: being fulfilled and it's like it's like seeing this it's like seeing that moment in star wars without having watched any of the rest of the star wars trilogy <laughs> right, and I'm going to stick with the trilogy because I think the rest of them stink. Right, no, I'm just kidding. That's not that's not true. You're all going to get mad at me. <laughs> the, but the middle three were kind of kind of R. George Banks era dude, was a dude, little I, bit much.
0: I have I have a friend that I'm like I'm like oh I mean Phantom Menace, and they're like you're bad man, oh, it's canonical, geez. and you're oh, like geez.
1: yes yeah. Well, I'm, but again, it's like watching that scene with no awareness of the rest of the narrative of the movies. Right, like that's cheating. Right, so to see Moses on the Mount of Trans without the reference and the reverence for this whole moment and what Moses' life was, that's what he's saying. He's like, if you missed that, you're not going to understand anything that Jesus is doing. All right. And uh, where is, so, so where's the Trinity? The Trinity is, Jesus, of course, is the word that God speaks. I'm not saying Jesus is the stone tablets. Jesus is Deuteronomy. But in some sense, if Jesus is the word of God, there is at least a shadow or an echo of some kind in God's word, in the commandments and in the the laws that is Jesus embodied in a certain sense, prefigured, of course, not incarnate. And how is it that Moses, I mean, now I'm thinking about the New Testament, how is it I think we talked about this last week, didn't we? How is it that Moses is able to make the proclamations that he's making? It was last week that the readings told us that it is only through the Spirit that someone can say that Jesus is Lord. Right. I think you could make the argument that it is only through the Spirit of God that Moses can make the proclamations that he is making. He doesn't have the Holy Spirit in the same way that we have it through our baptisms, but the Holy Spirit is very much present. The Holy Spirit was the... the, uh, The dynamism, the dunamis that actually does the great events of salvation history. It is the Holy Spirit that hovers over the face of the waters at creation. It is the Holy Spirit that separates the waters of the Red Sea through the hand of Moses, of course. But it is the spirit that is acting. It is the spirit that moves them through the wilderness. It's the spirit that empowers Moses to say these things. Not in the sacramental, permanent, imbued in our lives way that we have it now. But the Holy Spirit is present, showing us, reminding us, making us long for the fullness of God's revelation that is to come. Does that make any sense? It does. Because I think we got to find we got to find the Trinity here, or else we're not doing justice. Right, to the right.
0: Well, well, and I also see. I mean, he says that that uh, he says, "Did people ever hear the voice of God speaking from the midst of the fire as you did and live?" So it's no. like the answers no, no, <laughs> <laughs> and no. Um, <laughs> But like, but but we always. I mean, we're we're saying. You, you keep saying like, fire, water. Me? Yeah. Do I? Yeah. You are no, you're, cool. you're like from cool, the cool. midst of the waters and all this. Cool, cool, cool. Sorry, I only did too. <laughs> Yeah, dude. I, I, as soon as you say cool, cool, I, I you do. might as well just say cool, cool, cool. Because you're, you're trying to not say cool, 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 but I, you're I was. really saying just because cool, cool. of you, rad. But, again, we see that in these symbolic realities, the church has always
1: upheld particularly fire and water as symbols of the Spirit. Right, absolutely. Absolutely, which, again, this isn't new to Pentecost. And part of the beauty of having these readings at this moment in the liturgical year is that the imagery should all be pretty fresh in our heads from Pentecost. When we read about the fire and the winds and all of of this that we've experienced, this is the the story— And, yeah. and the wheat. This is the story of salvation history and the liturgical cycle of the church taking us back and saying, "Yeah, that was a profound moment, but really, it's all been leading to that." Mm. Here's how to show that. Here's how to demonstrate it. Which is again, that's what Moses is doing catechetically. He's mm. taking them through this, mm. which takes us to the psalm,
0: which is uh, Psalm thirty-three. Give me some context on Psalm thirty-three.
1: Oh, I got some context on Psalm thirty-three. Here is so so blessed the people the Lord has chosen to be His own. That's our actual response, which. It's a, psalm, um, it's a psalm of praise of the Lord. It's a psalm that recognizes the sovereignness of God that um, recalls what it means to be called as his people, to be his own. So that, that's all there in the text. Um, what I find—so it, it's appropriate because it works that way. It's um, One of the things—this might seem like a weird fact, but I'm going to say <laughs> okay. it. Okay. It is only one of four psalms in the entire Psalter that does not have a superscription. What's the superscription?
0: Yeah, it's like a Psalm of David in the right. Canticle Land. Right. Yeah. It's,
1: it's one of only four that don't have one that doesn't have one, which means scholars actually don't know where to put it. And because that it speaks so much about the sovereignty of God, it talks about the new song, sing a new song, which which makes us think that maybe this was a psalm composed in some moment of deliverance, like maybe after the Exodus, maybe after Hezekiah, you know, defeats the Assyrians, maybe after a return from exile. Nobody's sure, um, but what I love about that is because you can't because it's about deliverance, God's sovereignty, and about a new song. But no superscription, we can't place it in any exact place in salvation history. And so we're, what we're forced to do is recognize that it speaks in an umbrella way about the entirety of God's salvation history. We will not, the church, the ancient Judaism does not allow this to be pigeonholed in one moment. And none of the Psalms are meant to be pigeonholed, of course. But this one is in a very explicit way saying this is always, eternal. This is the story of salvation history. It's also 22 lines in the Hebrew, uh, which is the same number of letters in the alphabet. It's not acrostic. It doesn't follow like the A, B, C, D pattern, but it does follow the, the flow of 22 lines, which makes us think it's alphabetical. In right. other words, there's a beginning and an end. There's a narrative. There's a story that we're actually being caught up into. Not, you know, it's end to end, but it is in the middle of something profound. Mm. I don't know if I'm totally making sense, but I was really weirdly struck by this idea that there's only a hand, a small handful of psalms with no superscription that we can't peg down in a specific place. Okay. And this one about God's deliverance and singing a new song over God's deliverance and being his people, it tells me that in the working of the Holy Spirit, this psalm was written in a particular moment. Somebody wrote this at a particular moment because they were inspired by something that happened. But they were also presumably inspired by God to not put historical markers in so that through the Holy Spirit, we can perfectly apply it to not only the New Testament moments, but to the the Old Testament moments, but to the New Testament as well. Oh. And I think the Holy Spirit is making this a New Testament psalm in a certain sense. Wow. I don't know, that's my little yeah fervorino on it or something i
0: I, thought it was kind of cool i like it the um yeah and you can see you can see elements of the spirit in there it's the breath of his mouth as all the host he spoke and it was made so you see christ and the father and then it commanded and stood forth it's like so so there's like these trinitarian revelations absolutely where's waldo baby
1: where's waldo there he is he's in line five (laughs) and he's also in romans he's big time in romans um and Romans, I, I'm in my mind, is wanting to parallel Romans with the first reading in su- in some ways. Um, so Romans eight comes at the climax of what I think is Paul's at, central at theology. What
0: it, it comes at the climax of dinner because the Romans eight. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's come on, dude! I I just wanted to steal. You had your thunder going, oh. <laughs> and
1: I just had to. I just had to 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 really take it out in the you. spirit of. Uh, of spirit references. You really sucked the air out of the room on that one. Romans 8, it's in the midst of... Um, Paul's central um, theological statement. So I made an argument in my doctoral dissertation that Romans 5 through 8 is the centerpiece of all of Paul's theology, where he draws out exactly what... The incarnation of Jesus actually means in the world, and that is that it has reunited us and rebuilt our relationship with God, our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with all the people around us, and our relationship with all of creation itself, which is what he says in chapter 8. So in the middle of that, like, here is what the incarnation did. What he's saying here is what the incarnation also did is give us the gift of the Spirit of God. Because like Moses and the people of Israel were led by the pillar of fire and the pillar of smoke, we are led by the spirit of God and we are sons of God. So I don't think it's lost on Paul, the imagery of Exodus that he is pulling into this. And he's expecting his audience to recognize, oh, being led by the spirit is just like being led by the pillar of fire and pillar of cloud. This is Exodus language. You're giving commentary on what has happened. And then he talks about how you didn't receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but a spirit of adoption. Um, in adoption, do you, do you know this? I don't know if we've ever talked about this or not. Maybe we have. I think it's one of the coolest things ever. From what I understand, in the Roman world, Roman adoption was a big deal. Adoption happened a lot in ancient Rome. Uh, it usually didn't happen with like infants. It was often... <laughs> It's, it's actually studying Roman adoption law is actually a fascinating little world <laughs> this is weird. because it wasn't usually with young children. It was usually if you were kind of a wealthy, powerful landowner or something and you really hated your kids, you might adopt one of your workers or a slave or something because you liked them better and you wanted to, them to be your heir. Wow. It's kind of and like it was prominent.
0: It's kind of like uh, 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 Bilbo and Frodo. How so? He adopted Frodo as his heir. Oh yeah, it is kind of like that. Yeah, because he loved him. And he did not want to have the Sackville Bagginses (laughs) (laughs) the the Sackville Bagginses to to get back end, you know? It is kind (laughs) Oh jeez. That was nicely done.
1: Okay, but here's what here's the point. Here's what I want to say about it. Yeah. Um when someone was adopted in the Roman Empire, as my as is my understanding. Being adopted, uh, so I've great experience with adoption three times, Um, but in the ancient world, when you adopted, before the person was adopted into the new family, the court would issue a death certificate. And they would put your name, your old family name on a death certificate. And they would issue the certificate and they would essentially say, you have died to your old self and your old identity and your old family name. And immediately after you would be issued a new birth certificate because now you were born with a new name and a new identity into this new family in which you would now live. So when Paul is talking about being adopted into the family of God, Everybody's thinking, oh, that means we have been issued a death certificate to our old selves. We have died to the old ways, to the old identity, to the old baggage of sin and death and corruption. We have been born new and issued a new birth certificate through our baptism in which now we actually can cry Abba Father, which is not trite, pious sounding words. Abba Father means you're actually my dad now. The God who was not our father is now our father. And we know that because we've died to our old identity and we've been born anew into a new family of God. And he says the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. Because it's not enough to just be told God is your father. We actually have the Holy Spirit, which is the uh, the, the dynamic force in us that allows us to believe it. Right. Because it's one thing to be told something. Oh, you're good. You're pretty. You're nice. You're smart. You're athletic. Whatever. It's another thing to actually have the ability, which is only by the Spirit of God, to recognize, no, I, I am the son or daughter of God. I do have the capability of being holy. I am not all of those lies anymore. The Old Testament, the the most profound difference and problem between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the old law and the new law, is that the, and Paul goes on to explain this, the old law was really good at telling you what was right and wrong. It could tell you what you were doing wrong. It could tell you what you weren't doing right. But it didn't actually give you any real ability to do what was right. It just told you that you weren't doing it. The new law, empowered by the Holy Spirit, which we receive at Pentecost, which we get through our baptism and then empowered through our confirmation, actually gives us the ability to do what is asked of us, to believe what is told to us. They're not empty words. They're actually power. They're authority in us.
0: Right. I actually, and, and this, this is bringing up two thoughts. The first one, uh, it, like it's, it's uh, the ability to... So if we are a son, then an heir. I mean, yeah. Paul says this, right. you know. Right. And and if, if if an heir, then I forget how it keeps handsome, going. then handsome. I think okay. something like that. But but what happens is that is that an heir? As soon as you say an heir, you're getting something. Right? Yeah, right. That's true. Right, and he says you didn't receive a spirit of slavery, mm-hmm. where everything's being more and more is being taken from you. Right. To fall back into fear. So fear He's is, retelling the prodigal
1: story, the prodigal son story.
0: Absolutely. But fear, I just heard this definition from St. Thomas Aquinas, is the anticipation of a loss of a good. Mm. So you're anticipating mm. having the, mm. you're anticipating mm. loss. So, yeah. we, so we become afraid because we're gonna lose something that's good. Yeah. And so what happens is that everything's yeah. getting flipped. And now you say, okay, you don't actually have to worry about loss this isn't you're you're not going to be a slave and you're just getting taken more and more and more and more away you but you're actually what you're going to receive a spirit of adoption through we say now i'm a member of the household of the uh, of, of the father who's uh, who's a providential good father and that we're children of god and if children then heirs heirs of god and joint heirs with christ if only we what suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him so mm-hmm. it's a very complicated it's a complicated way of like but but i was just thinking about this this idea of of loss and air in this in the midst of this roman expression so that's like so that's a it's a really it's a really powerful way to say like okay wow okay but then the spirit himself is bearing witness with our spirit that we're children of god which is
1: these this giftedness like w- w- like like i like, think this is a refute of calvinism and lutheranism whoa. believe it or not because what it's saying is that you are not being overpowered by the spirit. It is not somehow hiding the reality of you. Right. Your spirit is now cooperating with God's spirit. Right. There is something of you that is required for entrance into this family. You didn't do anything to earn it or deserve it. You didn't. It wasn't because you did so many good things that you got it. But now that you have been adopted— You're a part of the story. You're a part of the family. Something is asked of you that you participate and you're you're with us. It's like Moses saying, has anything like this ever been done? Exactly. And the answer is no, no, never. No. And what Moses saw as the most profound moment of all of salvation history was nothing in comparison with what was to come. Right. But praise be to God we had Moses to set the foundation for it. Right, and and that's why, like,
0: this is a work of the spirit. Yes, the, you know, like, uh, our podcast is is actually in it is actually an attempt to live in the spirit of God and right. to actually put forth mm. um, the activity of God within our souls and how we've actually been invited into the heart right. of the of the story and that and that every week oh, yeah. It, yeah. it's like uh, we have these conversations and and I'm blown away, literally, oh. how intensely the weekly readings are actually speaking to the contemporary issues of my life as yes. if somehow there's a like a coordination
1: it's always weirdly miraculous it's as to if me. there's a god who's actually ordering our lives what <laughs> no but it, but even that it's easy to forget that and to actually it, it, those moments where you're like oh this actually is i know we say stuff like oh the scriptures are always meant to speak to us and god speaks to us through his word and through the liturgy but when an act when you actually hear it and you're like oh 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 Oh, like when you say speaking to me, like it's actually speaking to me. Right? <laughs> you know like, what I mean? I there's those moments where you're like, oh man, right? Like, like, like specifically for me,
0: from for me, I got caught in a spirit of fear, and and I so much so that I was like, I actually turned to another podcast. Can you believe that? What? I know. Are you kidding me? I I I betrayed just our. There's a oh. there's a podcast called Restore the Glory. Okay. Which is a couple of Catholic therapists who like. They just kind of delve into these ideas and they did a series on fear and and, wow. and that's where I was I was like, Oh, Thomas's definition of fear is super helpful yeah. to me to say yeah. like, oh, you know what? The reality is is that I'm anticipating the loss of a good. Right. And right. and as I'm as I'm living in this mm. anticipation, which is like, No, 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 no. The spirit actually calls us out to mm. say you've been adopted and you're an heir. So you think that you're not gonna get the goods that like <laughs> you're you're not going you're not going to actually have the privilege
1: of living in the spirit right like yeah. no we we live in the spirit that's what we get to do i it's, love it it's funny though because this is the paradox of christianity um which i think is a good segue into matthew the paradox of christianity as as you're giving thomas's definition of fear which i think is accurate right the fear is what is it the anticipation of, of the, the loss of yeah the anticipation, anticipation of, loss of, of, a of a the good. loss of a good what christianity further says is you're going to lose a whole lot of goods. You could actually lose your life. You could lose your family. You could lose loved ones. Uh, The truth is not popular, and we know the experience of Christianity in the first church. In Romans, for Pete's sake, they're about to go under the sword of Nero, under the most bloody persecution Christianity had seen. But still don't be afraid, because there are goods that you are heir to that far outweigh these more... Um, these lesser goods that you might lose. You might lose the lesser goods, but you don't have to be afraid because you can have the confidence in the greater goods that can never be taken from you because of who you are. Mm. But that is a paradox to to be like, okay, well, I got to be willing to lose these very real goods for the sake of these far greater goods. Yep. And that's where the fearlessness comes in. Can you be not afraid in the midst of that? Yes. And that's Christianity's challenge. Mm. It's not just, it's not a health and wealth gospel. It's not like just follow Jesus and everything is going to be great. No, suffer loss and everything's going to be great. Yes. And if you can get through that and then, and that takes us to Matthew, I think. I don't know if it does. I just said that because we had to get there. <laughs> but, um, I, but think of this. Just put this Put this in context. The 11 disciples went to Galilee. It's 11, of course, because Judas, Judas ain't there anymore. Um, to the mountain to which Jesus had ordered them. So here we are gathered as, oh, I wish it was 12. It's 11. You have the new Israel, a new generation who's about to be sent forth into a new promised land of the entire earth. To transform and build the people of God, they go up on a mountain to receive the word from their Lord. I mean, the, the the resonances and the echoes of the Exodus, I think, are really profound here. Right, going up on a mountain to get a new message for a new moment. Gosh, I'm just
0: like like the painful thought of eleven, and it's it's
1: really it's really actually put
0: in there this very specific way. Yes, it hurts that there's. It doesn't 11.
1: say the disciples went to Galilee. He could have said that. He said he wants you to feel the pain of that. Israel is not what Israel is supposed to be quite yet. God will fix that; He'll figure out a way. But it's not right. But where are we right now?
0: The mountain, absolutely, in where He ordered us to yeah, be. Yeah, where He ordered us to be. So, yeah.
1: like, and we're po- we're just post-resurrection. Just to put it in context, right?
0: I'm saying as we, as I read this, I know, I just this was the, trying to. Yeah, I didn't a, say that at the beginning. Yeah. So I actually have see myself and, on the mountain. Uh, am I the twelfth? Ooh. See what I'm saying? Kind of. Yeah, like, 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 you know what? As you meditate upon these words, mm. the eleven disciples went. Yeah, it's painful. There's a gap. Are you in the gap? Are you going to actually listen to this word? Wow. Are you going to be on this mountain? Are you going to wow. hear this commission? Wow. Wow. I know. I, I I was just feeling that. I was like, ooh, I'm actually in the midst of the twelve.
1: Because every time my imagination always yeah. is
0: is very rich for this particular passage. But
1: well, check this out. So take that, take that a step further, maybe. Um so they get there, they all saw him, they worship. I love this. They worship, but they doubted. <laughs> I I that is one of the most beautiful expressions in the scriptures to me because it's not an all or nothing thing. It's not a zero sum. It's it's you can give yourself to God and still realize you have a long way to go. I believe what is it? It's a I believe help Augustine, my unbelief. I believe but help my unbelief. In other words, we can be we can be partway there and God can still work with that. We cannot be on, you know, on a dog-eared holy card on grandma's fridge yet. And God can still come and meet us. They believe they're worshiping, but they're still struggling with it.
0: Mm. I struggle
1: and I still believe. Like that it's almost permission to say, okay, God can work with that. Right. And then Jesus approached and he said to them, All power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And I guess what I'm struck by in what you're saying is if all power in heaven and on earth is given to Jesus, he allowed the church to live in this gap of eleven apostles. He allowed the church to live in this moment of struggle and doubt. He has all power in heaven and earth. He can snap his fingers and get away all that doubt. He could snap his fingers and have somebody else show up and automatically be that 12th apostle or disciple. And he chooses not to. He chooses to allow the growth of this story and the way that this struggle is actually going to make us holier so that we can see more clearly the inheritance that is actually due to us. Because we see as this story goes on after Pentecost, the church will get beat up and imprisoned and crucified and go on trial and all manner of things. But they don't have their fear anymore. And they don't even seem to have very much doubt at that point because now they've been empowered. And I wonder if God, God's not absent from our psychology. God doesn't, God is not alien to our humanity he knows that sometimes we got to go through the struggle a little bit, through the pain and the heartbreak of knowing there's not 12 here. Why not? I'm struggling. I'm doubting. I'm trying to worship. I believe, but I'm still struggling with my unbelief. And Jesus says, I can deal with that. Right. Even though all, it's not like, well, once Pentecost comes, then all power in heaven and on earth will be given to me. Once the second coming comes, then I'll have the power to do all this stuff. No, nope, I've got it. And I'm going to let you struggle a little bit anyway. Because that's actually what a good parent does. That's what a good Lord does. So, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Here we have the entire Trinity. It's like the the punchline of all the readings. We finally have the explicit recognition of all three persons of the Trinity. Right. That we've been struggling and wrestling to find in the rest of the readings. And he gives them everything that they need, but they don't have the power to do it quite yet. Because the dunamice of the Holy Spirit has not been, the switch hasn't been flipped yet, right? Mm -hmm. He gives them all the tools, but he allows them a little bit of time for those tools to kind of marinate. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know, that's the rent. Right. No, that's no, probably to, heretical to, somehow. To, no, to to come to to full fruit in the right. same way. It's it's like, but it's not like a magic trick. It's not like he's like, okay, here's my magic one, and I'm zapping you. Now you have the Holy Spirit. That's confirmation. It's it's that's not how human beings work. I'm gonna give you these tools. I'm gonna let them grow, and I'm gonna let you struggle a little bit. I'm gonna let them kind of marinate, you know, and then they will be ready for the switch to be flipped when I come at Pentecost and I give the Holy Spirit in this fuller way, which, you know, we go back to the words of Moses, has anything like this ever happened before? No, absolutely not. But Jesus is willing to take the time to let that grow in us, to build us up to the point where we're ready to actually do what he's asking us to do. And our
0: and our disposition towards that, it cannot be one of what else is God going to pull from me? Yeah. But that rather what else is, does God want to give? Yeah because yes. I like the quality mm-hmm. the, in the, the quality in, uh, the quality in, in um, Romans is this. It's like uh, you know what? if only we suffer with him, you know, right. no fear. You know, no fear like the eighties bumper stickers. <laughs> t shirts. Nineties well. t shirts. and Yeah. Whatever tattoos. And stuff. Hypercolor. Hyper color. I think I had a hypercolor one. No, <laughs> that was two different <laughs> companies. Yeah. A so. no, uh, no fear hypercolor. i I just like doesn't got, that, that sound epic? Yeah, dude. That's like yeah. I'm in the nineties. But like <laughs> it's like we're not we don't have a spirit of fear, but rather a spirit yeah. of adoption and, and air and being an air. But we're gonna suffer with them. And that's right. where it's like the quality is is that we're gonna suffer, and sometimes we interpret the sufferings of our lives as if somehow we're no longer an Arab, as if the, ch- the child doesn't suffer. They've forgotten about me. But the dunamis, the power yeah. that's going to be given from on yeah. high is going to actually be in relationship. Yes. It's it's going to be in yeah. this discipleship, which is so, which is, I, I keep, every time I like try to boil down to a universal theory of something, I'm always trying to come up with a universal <laughs> theory. I, I I just look and I'm like, everything boils down to relationship. Everything. Yeah. And and yeah. that and that as we relate to God, we're not gonna to relate to God in an imperfect capacity. Right. But even though we have an we're in an imperfect capacity, we're still called to make disciples. And we're still right. bestowed. God doesn't say all powered heaven on earth has been given to me, therefore everything's solved. Right. He says, No, now you're gonna participate with go the hard work. Right. Now now participate with me as air with the power of the spirit given to you in these multitudinous gifts. Yes. And I just did say multitudinous. I was going to let it it fly. Nobody ever says that. <laughs> now they all will now, they, now all these kids are gonna be running around saying multitudinous, multitudinous. <laughs> manifold multitudinous
1: <laughs> that's a good name for the podcast yeah absolutely. manifold <laughs> multitudinous i'm gonna call it that
0: <laughs> well you guys may the power from on high um come upon you mm. and remain with you ever forever i have to say thank you so much i keep on getting tremendous notes yes. for my 15th anniversary yes and um and uh i uh uh, uh, I I keep on meaning. I have crystal like champagne glasses, and I'm like, because I was like, I was like, it's the crystal anniversary, and I'm yes. like, how do I do like a crystal anniversary? So I'm gonna have a champagne toast in crystal champagne things on behalf of all of your generosity and your goodness. Um it might be prosecco. So. Can I be a part of it? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> can I be a part of it? I would like that. No, I'm going to just toast myself just my in, in my bedroom. Yeah, yeah, because no, because relationship is given. I was going to say you can make you holier. So, don't be afraid to share this and mm. like and the people that you mm. share this podcast with, what I want you to do is I actually want you to go and talk to them about the content of it and not just listen to it alone
1: totally i that is that is our dream not that you would just be like here listen to this podcast but that you can take the material and that you can be like hey let me tell you about the holy spirit
0: right that's Cause, the dream cuz where's waldo where's waldo he's over there has anything like this podcast been done before <laughs> i don't think so <laughs> i don't think so god bless you
1: guys we will see you next week bye everybody the Word on the Hill podcast is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.thomascenter.org AICT. If you like this podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. Uh, that is the way that we can grow and get the word out to more people. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next week.